Tonight we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 13. So you can open your Bibles if you have one to 2 Kings 13. And actually, last week, I went longer than normal, and I didn't even finish the chapter. So I've got a few verses left from chapter 12. You might have caught that. So we're just going to, as we say in the ministry business, we're going to clean that up, and then we're going to go forward in chapter 13. Okay, so we're in that part of 2 Kings where we left off with the kings of Judah and Jehoash, who's also Joash, his name's used interchangeably. If that's not confusing enough, we get an Israel king in the northern kingdom with the same name situation pretty much at the same time coming up tonight. But Jehoash of Judah, who is a seven-year-old king with the help of Jehoadiah, the priest, he's, you know, he's the king and he became king at seven. He reigned 40 years, so he lived 47 years. And there's a summary of his life on the back end of chapter 12 where we're told in verse 17 that Haziel, the king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it, and then Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Jehoash, that's our king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his fathers, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated in his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and in the king's house, and he sent them to Haziel, king of Syria, and then he, he went away from Jerusalem. So he bought his way out of this jam because Haziel was coming against him. Verse 19, now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of Milo, which goes down to Selah, for, jo- for Josachar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants, struck him, so he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. As we've seen in 2 Kings, we keep getting like, there's a total of 39 kings in the divided kingdom, 20 and 19 total. So just almost 40, right? And as you mentioned, you never get lost with the kings of the north because none of them are good. So they're all like, they may have had a good moment or found some special grace, but none of them walk with the Lord. It's only the kings in the south of Judah that you find good kings like Hezekiah and others who walked with the Lord. And, and in this record where we're reading about Jehoash, he walked with the Lord, we're told. Now, Chronicles, we'll get to Chronicles, and I'll talk about this, but it sheds some light on this tail end of his life. We get these summaries of each king at the end of their life. It's like if you're studying presidents of the United States, and you look back and you study these presidents, like, oh, this is what Abraham Lincoln did. This is, you know, this is what Andrew Jackson did, or Ulysses Grant. Like, you just, you look at these guys, and you get a summary, and that's what you get here, except these are the kings of God's people in the covenant of the Old Testament, And so their summaries mean a little more than just kings of men because they're kings of covenant. So he died in a conspiracy. But what 2 Kings doesn't tell us about this king is as long as Jehoiadiah the priest who raised him was alive, he did good as a king. But after Jehoiada died, he did not do good. In fact, he did very evil. And this is a condensed story of what he did to buy off Haziel and the Syrian king of the north to preserve his life, he basically he took the wealth he inherited from his parents to pay him off to not cause him harm and difficulty. What we don't read about is that Jehoiada the priest had a son named Zechariah, and Zechariah loved the Lord and was a prophet. So when Joash was growing up as the, the seven-year-old child king, at the same time Jehoiada, who poured all that, who had saved his life and poured all that mentoring into him, 
also had his own son that he raised as unto the Lord. So he raised a king as unto the Lord and a prophet, his son who was a prophet as unto the Lord. And lo and behold, after he stepped into eternity, Jehoiadiah did, Jehoash was called out by Zechariah for his compromise and using the Lord's wealth to buy off these kings from the north instead of trusting in the Lord. And so Jehoash had Zechariah killed. He's a martyr. So Jehoiadiah's son, and Jehoiadiah's kind of a hero for us last week, his son was actually killed by the boy king that he raised to serve the Lord. And he's like, ah, oh, that's kind of unfortunate. Of course it is, but it sheds light on this story. And as far as Zechariah is concerned, his dad was the priest, Jehoiadiah. He loved the Lord. His influence was good. And when he stepped into eternity, his son was left behind, who took the ministry to a whole other level. And he held the king and the people accountable, and it cost him his life. But he died in glory. So it's a good ending for him, even though he was martyred. And really, when you think about it, isn't that a pretty good ending? We say this all the time, like, hey, we're going to go. And if you go for speaking the word of the Lord and some king who's fighting the Lord puts you down, then that's not altogether a bad way to go. So this is the summary of his life. So as interesting as he persecuted the son of Jehoiadiah and had him killed, he himself was killed by conspiracy. And this sheds light on the text we just read that was there on the back end of chapter 12. Now we go forward in chapter 13. In the 23rd year of Jehoash, that's our king that we're just talking about, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel and Samaria. Now remember, Jehu's our guy that wiped out everybody from the house of Ahab. It's hard to forget Jehu. He's the man in the chariot. It's just like, he brought, down, he, he brought down Jezebel. He brought them all down. And he reigned. So this, this Jehoahaz, the son of, Je- of Jehu, became king over Israel and Samaria. He reigned 17 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. So Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because of the king of Syria, because of this king of Syria oppressed them. And so then the Lord gave Israel deliverers so that they escaped from the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin but walked in them and the wooden images and also what remained in Samaria like the asterisk was the, these images, these idols that just, they never stopped. You know, it's just their downfall. And that had remained in Samaria. That was the capital city of the northern kingdom. For he left of the army. So Haziel and the king of Syria, when he plundered the northern kingdom and really punished him, he left of the army of Jehoahaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. So he just dismantled their whole military defenses when he plundered them. Verse 8, now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehoahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash, his son, reigned in his place. So see, now we get this northern king with the same name of Jehoahaz, because Jehoahaz and Joash, the names are used interchangeably for the same person. And at the same time, we, we get them tied up in these chapters, both for a king in Judah, who we've been reading about, and now the king in Israel. It does get confusing, so I have little lions going through my Bible. Blue connects the Judah kings, and pink connects the southern or the northern kings, right? So I'm like, hey, wait a second. I get, it's like this all over my Bible here. To, don't get lost, even color-coded. So he comes to power now, and it says in verse 10, in the 37th year of Joash, the king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoaziah, became king over Israel and Samaria. 
So here's where we have both these names. And again, with each king, the two names are used interchangeably, like Joseph, 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 Joe, Joey, you know, Isabel, Isabella, Isabel. Like, it's, I don't completely understand it when you read commentaries. It's like, hey, that's just the way they did it in Hebrew, right? They had no vowels anyways. It's, it's confusing. But nonetheless, that's the way it is. And this guy reigned 16 years. Verse 11, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but he walked in them. Now, the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did in his might with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, because Amaziah is the son of the other Joash, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash rested, that is Joash of Israel, the north, rested with his fathers. Then Jeroboam sat on his throne, and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. So if that's not challenging enough, we get a Jeroboam II, which is how the whole northern kingdom began, right? Because it's Solomon, Rehoboam's his son in Judah, and then Jeroboam's the one that set up the golden calves in the northern kingdom, and we're going to get a Jeroboam II. So hopefully I helped you navigate that historically and contextually. One thing that jumps out at me at this text, or has jumped out at me as I've been reviewing it the last few days in detail, I didn't catch it right away. But I, I caught it as I spent more time on this text, is that, for one, Jehoahaz, the king of Israel in the north, it says there in verse 4, verse 3, that he, verse 4, that he pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. Now, this king didn't do anything good in his life that we know of, but he pleaded with the Lord, and he found mercy. And we find this true, that God is good. You know, Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust, and, and good things happen for good people and bad people, and bad things happen against good people and bad people. And so we just can't get thrown off that the human experience in 80 years will run its course a certain way. The difference for the people that are saved by faith, particularly the church trusting in Jesus, is that they all work together for good. Ultimately, everything that's happening in our life with faith in Jesus is going to work together for good in time and for all eternity. But we know people like this King Jehoaz, where they, they might go to church, they might talk about the Lord, they can use the dialect of the Lord like even Saul did, King Saul, but they don't really have the relationship. And they might crowd to the Lord for mercy on a day of national mourning and repentance. They'll, they, they'll lead that and they'll be there and they'll bring in Billy Graham to, walk, you know, to kind of represent. That's how these guys are. And God was gracious we're told in Timothy that when we're faithless, he remains faithful. And we see time and time again from Genesis to Revelation where there's times that men and women do, will do, in particular, not anything favorable to bring God's blessing upon them, but they'll still find favor because God is gracious and merciful. And that's a good reminder in December. It's encouraging to us. But what really jumps out at me in relation to them finding favor, because again, we know so many people like this, they still didn't walk with the Lord. Like God led up, Haziel and Ben-Hadad were going to do what God allowed them to do to chasten the people, his people. He's, he's chastening them. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Israel's his people of covenant. We already saw back in chapter 10 that the northern tribes began to be gobbled up by the Syrians. They began to lose property and asset and wealth and estate. That already began to happen. And then now, just a few verses after they cry out for help and God sends them a deliverer and they find some favor with the Lord, they don't repent from all their sin and all their idolatry. And we find this very interesting phrase that they're dwelling in tents as before. Now, let me tell you something. When you own a house and then you live in your car, that's a downgrade. Okay? 
When you have property with vineyards and you no longer have that, and Ben Haddad has it, and you're living in a tent in another area, that's called homeless. That's not homeless because of bad breaks, bad relationships, or crooked bosses or something. That's homeless as a whole on a national level and increased homelessness because of rebellion against God and his word. Now, how does that look tonight? In our own country, the massive increases of homelessness in all the major cities because of all these people in power making bad laws that are contrary to God's word. There's nothing new under the sun, and God's not mocked. This is homelessness. And I've lived in Huntington Beach for 12 years, and many of you who live here know this. We've seen an increase in homelessness. And it has not elevated the city to better behavior and a safer environment. I feel less safe walking with my wife on the bike path. I feel less safe with grandkids at the, at the playground at 9th Street. There's a lot of things that would make you feel less safe. And it's unfortunate. But I was thinking about this because it's up to the new mayor and the city council to figure out how they work with this, with the governor. And they're bringing in homeless people from other cities and putting up at our hotels. And we, we're very empathetic, right? There's a big difference between a, a single mom being homeless and a, and a perpetual drug addict who's dangerous being homeless. Because the two things you never know with a drug addict, what they'll do to get drugs and what they'll do when they're on drugs. I was thinking about it today. Back in the 90s there in Oceanside, a guy high on crystal meth killed a seven-year-old boy in the public bathroom right there between South Jetty and North Jetty. And it was a horrible thing. The Calvary Chapel got involved, ministering to the family. They were, they were vacationing from Modesto. And the boy went in the bathroom, and a guy out of his mind on crystal meth, he took that boy's life. And now he's somewhere in a penitentiary serving life for what he did to a seven-year-old boy in a public bathroom when he was high on drugs. Now, I don't fear people high on drugs, and I don't feel governments either, right? Well, I think we've made that very clear. But we do see that you get national trends based upon what a nation embraces or doesn't embrace. And we already know this, but contextually, I find it interesting that the people lost their property and their wealth, and they're living in tents. They don't have more at the end of their year. They have less. And that being said, that's on a national level. So what it comes down to for you and me and the body of Christ in America and the body of Christ worldwide, wherever we live, whether under favorable or disfavorable governments, like we always say, it comes down to the individual. Because while... Obedience to the word of God or disobedience to the word of God affects a nation collectively. It affects an individual more so. And I'm sure in this world of people living in their tents, having lost their property in the northern kingdom, were got, got these other places, these were being divided up and taken by the Assyrians. You know, the Lord's still with you. And by the way, if I was homeless, I wouldn't mind living right there on PCH in my, my, my car. I've seen a lot of the world. I'll, I'll take a car in Huntington Beach over most of the world that I've seen, believe me. I've traveled the world my entire life as a military brat, as a pro surfer, and as a minister and a coach, Olympic coach. And sometimes I see all the people down there at the end of their solar things, you know, and charging the car up and the van. I'm like, you know what? That's not a bad gig. But if that is my gig, I don't want to be because I was worshiping asterisks and wooden idols. If that's my gig, I want to be my gig because that's what God said I have for you in your back end of your life. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer being, you know, held by the Nazis or something. You know, like if, you know or Corey Tim Boom, you know, in a, in, a, in a German concentration camp. If that's my gig, I don't want to be because I brought it upon myself through disobedience. I want to be because God's just refining me for glory in the next kingdom. Yes and 
Amen, of course, right? So thinking about this, Christ is always our certainty in a time of distress. And this is a time of distress. Christ is always going to take care of his people and reminded of it. So I thought, well, you know, you know the, the nation found some mercy, even though the king was bad, and uh, they're living in tents, and they've lost their property and their revenue-generating assets. But, you know, like, if you're living in a tent with Jesus and the people you love, then Merry Christmas. Melikilikimaka from the west side. You know, like, it's not a bad, like, it's, it's, it, when you're in the tent or in the car, it's who's there with you. Is Jesus with you? That's what I see right here, and it, it gets my attention. Back-to-back bad kings in the north. People are found, the nation found mercy in spite of bad kings. People have lost their wealth and are homeless in spite of bad kings. But the people of faith wake up with joy from the Lord, and they choose happiness. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, I, I suppose whether you're happy or not is depending on what you choose to be. And if you choose to be happy... And the Bible says, happy is the woman or the man who trusts in the Lord. Then you can have that happiness. And we should never confuse pleasure and happiness. Because drug addicts have pleasure when they're high. Happiness is the human experience of life being lived in a good way. And happiness isn't based upon pleasure. It's the flesh wants pleasure. Happiness is more something that we get when we're right with the Lord. Enjoy something that we have no matter whether we have many or few things. So we, we can choose that no matter if the whole planet becomes homeless, living in tents, we want to make sure Jesus is in the tent with us. Now, verse 14, we read on. Elisha, so he's reintroduced to us now. He's been a star in earlier passages. So as we move forward from these kings of the north, now we're going to get a shift back to Jehoash, that king of Judah in the south, who had killed Jehoadiah's son, Zechariah, for preaching against him. Elisha had become sick with illness with which he would die. Then Joash, or Jehoash in other places, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the traits of Israel and their horsemen, and, and said to him, Take a bow, some arrows. So, I'm sorry, i got to correct myself. So right here, this is Joash, Israel. I apologize. See, I'm confused. Jehoash, Judah, Joash, Israel. I'm glad I caught it. Thank you, Lord. Okay, I caught it. So I made a mistake, but I caught it right now. It doesn't matter. He's a bad king. That's all you need to know. All right? So... Uh, Jehoash, I, you know, it's funny because I've taught this twice before, and I always thought it was the king of Judah. Hey, it's 61. You learn new things, right? Okay, so Elisha had become sick of the illness which he died. Then jo- Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the church of Israel and their horsemen. Now, remember, Is- Elisha had this ongoing relationship with the kings of the north. That's where he had a lot of his ministry, just like Elijah did because he was based out of Mark. Mount Carmel in the north. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hand. Oh, okay, like this. Like, oh, okay. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of deliverance from Syria. You must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrows. And so this Jehoash from the north, he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have, that is Elisha, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria until you destroyed it. Now you will strike Syria only three times. 
there is a lot of interesting stuff in this text. First of all, that Elisha has become sick with illness and is going to die. Elisha is one of the greatest miracle workers in the Old Testament. In fact, before we're done this chapter, they're going to put a man in hiding in the tomb where he's at, and that man's going to uh, it's going to, it's a dead body, and it's, well, it's a, he's going to touch the body, the Elisha's body, and be made to life. So Elisha, we've talked about Elijah had a lot of ministries like Jesus, but Elisha, who came after Elijah, he did all these things that we saw. We've been seeing it here in 2 Kings, and here we're told he got sick, and he's going to die, and that's the way it is. So as much as we want to be healed from our sicknesses, and I certainly do, I don't want to have pain and sickness down the stretch. But we all know no matter how many times we do get healed from sickness, sooner or later, <laughs> we're going to die. Entropy, sin, Adam and Adam all sin, we're going to die. And it's appointed to men to die once, and then we stand before the Lord, and our days are fastened for us when as yet there was none, none of them, when there was as yet none of them. And we know in our days that God's thoughts for us are good thoughts to give us a future and a hope with our days. His thoughts are good thoughts for us. But when it's our time, it's our time which really is comforting because it allows us freedom to just go after what God has for us and not be afraid of the famine, the plague, and these different things that can come, but just know that God's got it. And it's all about eternity anyways. And so even if we have a terminal illness or something happens dramatically with a quick illness, we just, the grace of the Lord will be with us to face that when we're trusting in Jesus and he's coming for us. And so I want to believe God for healings and sicknesses when I have them. Remember, I was pretty sick. I was sick for two months this summer, right? I, I, oh, man, I just had diverticulitis, and then I went into COVID, a BA5, and then I got, like, the whole other, the other sickness, and, and then I had a urinary tract infection. I, I was really sick for a couple months, and no one likes being sick. The only thing worse than being sick is being in pain, like, you know, your really bad toothache or headache or earache. My friend Mike Lambrese, the pro surfer, went in for surgery again the ninth time this year for an injury that almost cost him his leg in Mexico earlier this year. He's one of the best surfers in the, in the 80s. He's a fantastic surfer. But he posted on Instagram today how much pain he's been in, and he described the vertebrae and all this damage. And you people with back problems, you hear me. He said that the pain down his sciatica is all the way down to his feet. Now, you people with back pain know when your back's really bad, sciatica nerve goes to the side, and you young people don't know this yet. Then it starts to run down your butt at your side, and when it's really going full strength, it's like a hot iron going down your calf right here, and it's a screamer, and there's no relief. So I just posted mercy and grace and praying for you because he said the sciatica pain was all the way down to his foot. That's brutal. We just don't know what we're going to face. Mike Lambrese is a Christian. He loves the Lord. We just don't know what we're going to face. But I'm just glad to know that when we're going to face it, that the Lord's with us, and the Lord was with Elijah. And what's interesting to me here, Elijah's still about the Father's business. So here he comes to this Joash in the north. He comes to the king. It's his final ministry. It's his final ministry. It's, his, it's the last, you know, we've seen with the Shunammite woman and all these other things, and it's his final ministry. And what's he doing? Well, Jehoash, this is... Again, we know people like this, and you might be with them during the holidays. You're the woman of faith. You're the man of faith. The rest of the family looks to you to be like a sort of a stability in the family. It's kind of like all those presidents that wanted Billy Graham around. Who doesn't want Billy Graham around when you're in the White House? 
Republican or Democrat. And we say, let's bring Billy down. He's like, good luck to have Billy Graham, you know, have him in the photos, you know, have him at the Christmas dinner with the turkey, whatever. Like, it's, it's a good thing. Like, it can't go wrong. Like, you just kind of rub elbows. Like, yo, Billy, so how's the crusade going in, you know, Romania or something, right? Like, like it's a good thing. Elisha's like that. And you think about Jehoash says, oh, the chariot, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of, of Israel. See, in Jehoash's mind, Elisha represents spiritual things, and he represents eternal things. Because, of course, it was a chariot of fire that came for Elijah. And it's a chariot of fire, the chariots of fire, that Elisha had prayed his servants' eyes would be open to see them. So everyone knows this Elisha, the prophet, he sees the spiritual realm. He sees the eternal realm. Or we might say of you tonight, ladies, you see the spiritual, you see the eternal. You're the woman with the word of wisdom on your lips. Or you're the man with the word of wisdom on your lips. When you speak, it, it reflects the kingdom male or female. That's who we want to be. You want to be like Elisha when you show up for the holidays with your family. Even if they're drinking, you want them to go like, Elisha's here. You know, like, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. When you're at work, and maybe people are telling something, talking about something they shouldn't be, and you walk in the room like, oh, oh, and they walk away. That's not a bad thing. You want them to associate you with seeing the chariots of fire in heaven. That's a good thing. And in this case, Jehoash is like, you, you, you're, you represent that. You see things we don't see. You're like a seer. You're like the prophet. You see what I don't see. And so he's like, you're, you're the guy. You're the guy. Even Ben-Hadad, had, you know, even the, um, the king of Israel had wanted to know, like, send for the prophet to see if I live or I die, right? You know, like, he, remember he offered him all the camels, all the goods with the camels? The man, the woman who sees the chariots of fire, that's someone you want around. And when they leave planet Earth, they leave planet Earth, they're not coming back. Kind of like the void left behind by Billy Graham or Pastor Chuck Smith or whatever. Like, there's certain spiritual giants when they leave. It's like, it's just, these are good women and these are good men, but they're not the same. And he's going. And maybe they felt like they found mercy because he's still around walking around in the north, even though everyone's persecuting him and posting bad things about him. He's still Elisha, the man who sees the chariots of fire. But the most interesting thing to me in this text is that he goes to Joash in his final moments and he's trying to help someone find their own faith. That's pretty cool. He's trying to help him find his own faith. Like, oh, you've got, you the chariots of fire. Like, no, no, listen. I've come this day and I have something to tell you. This bow, this arrow, here, pick it up. I'll show you how this works. Just like you're Green Valley at a youth camp years ago, and you're doing the archery, and some youth counselor comes over there, and they put their arm over, and they're like, this is how you do it. And you pull back, you're like, oh. And you're like this, and like, no, steady, steady. Literally, that's what, like, Elisha goes, let me show you something. The man with the chariots of fire in his eyes is like, this is how it works. Now, this is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Shoot the arrow. All right. So, we talk about profound moments in your life, profound days, defining moments. There are days we know this in our life when we look back that were key days and key moments. Just changed everything. Someone said something that went this way. It, it might have been like you didn't get in this school, but then you got in that one, and the first day it worked this way. And, and, and again, like I, you know, I'm on the second draft of my book right now, and I can't help but think about all these things I've experienced as a kid, as a young adult, Growing up in Carlsbad, 
as an adult with my wife and my kids, this whole journey, I'm going over the whole thing. And I just look back at certain days and moments were so profound and how they impacted my life with divine intervention. And there were key moments. Now, I like to reflect upon the good ones, but I know in my own heart between me and the Lord, there are certain key moments I made the wrong decision and they affect me profoundly, in some cases, for a couple of years. This is a key moment. So I would say, first of all, when the man who sees chariots of fire comes around and says, this is the other Lord's deliverance, we need to listen and pay attention. We need to understand when we're in a, we're in a defining moment. We need, to, we need to be walking with discernment. We need to be proactive in, our, in how we see things. We're exchanging time for eternity today, so do so wisely, right? We're giving up this, which we can't keep, the most valuable thing we have, time, and it's moving us toward eternity, so we want to make sure we redeem the day to be used wisely toward eternity. And if that's the case, our head's on a swivel, and we're alert to recognize key moments that are so profound, situations you can come upon, and how we act or react in that moment can go so far to affect our life. And in this case, for Jehoash, this affected his future, his life, the whole definition of what he did. Because when the words were said, this is the era of the Lord's deliverance, he needed to cognitively, he needed to, in his mind, grasp the significance of it and seeing what Syria had been doing to all of Israel, the north and the south. You would think he'd grab the arrow and go like, whoa, just start whacking away. Like if, if they said, if someone came to you and said, hey, this, like, whatever's oppressing you, whoever's been picking on you, whatever's gone wrong in your life and all these injustices that maybe you felt or all these things that were going against you, and the prophet shows up and says, hey, I'm coming here on behalf of the Lord. This arrow represents your future with all the good things God has for you. I'm telling you right now, WG, body of Christ, pick that arrow up and just start hammering. Just, hey, these Syrians are your heartache and your grief. You've lost wealth, you've lost peace, you've lost sleep, you've lost people. This is destroying your whole world. And in spite of your idols and everything else you've done, the Lord is offering you this arrow today. You show the Lord how serious you are about him and his promise to you for victory over Syria. Show him how much you believe him when he says this. Show him your faith right now. I'm telling you this is the arrow of the Lord's army. This is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Show him how much faith you have right now. And all he's got is one, two, three. Thank you, Court. Mm, yeah. One, two. See, he's a lot like me. One, two, three. That's it. And we've been talking about this with the Shunammite woman. As many empty vessels she got is how many were filled, right? With the jar of oil. Hey, as many as she got. That's exactly how many were filled. Not one vessel was left empty. As much as she went and got a hustle on and brought those back, that's exactly what she got back. To clear her debt and to pay for the future. And here, for Joash, Jehoash, is, as many times as he struck the ground, is exactly how many times he had victory over the kings of Syria. What he believed is what he got. What he sowed is what he reaped. What he gave is what came back. And he missed the opportunity. In fact, this might be Saturday's message. I don't want to play my hand too much right here. It's like early rounds in a surf contest. You want to say some big moves for the finals. <laughs> but let me just say this. You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria and destroyed him. 
Oh, you should have. And then you would have. You should have. And then you would have. What could be worse than hearing that from the prophet and having lost the moment of great opportunity? It was like when Timmy was an all-star. My son, both Timmy and Luke were all-stars and played baseball, but Timmy's, I remember some of Luke's, but Timmy's the best to remember. He played like two innings in right field. And he's the last guy on the all-star team. And he's out there, please don't hit it to me, please don't hit it to me. It's right off like a Disney movie or something. He's like, but he had an all-star hat. He's like, he's Timmy's like, oh. and first time he got up to bat, his bases loaded. Now they're being beat like eight to nothing. Full count, bases loaded, and perfect strike down the middle. And he's like, they're like, oh, and the manager's like, oh, Timmy. I was like, Timmy. And he's like, and he came back to, the, and it's like, Timmy, why didn't you swing? He's like, I was just so nervous, I couldn't swing. Like, we can all relate to that, right? He was just, you know, you're a kid, you're in fifth grade, and was like, come on, Timmy. It's like all that, you know, it's like over the top, you know, little, you know, youth sports. And he's just like, and Timmy, he kind of bad, like, he's like, okay. So the next All Star game, they're down by like 12 to nothing in the fourth inning. There's no, it's, no, it's not a win or lose moment. He's up to bat again with the bases loaded. Same situation. He goes to full count. I was like, you can't make this stuff up. He had two at-bats as an all-star. This time, this pitcher, he bounces the ball like five feet in front of the plate, and Timmy's like this. <laughs> he he went golfing for that thing. Oh, look at Timbo. <laughs> you know, and the dad behind the fence went like, <laughs> you could have got an RBI walk, you know. <laughs> And I was like, Timmy, why did, why did you swing? He goes, he goes, because I just determined it for the rest of my life. I want to make sure I swing. That's what he said. He goes, he goes, I felt so sick looking at that called strike for two days. I determined in the rest of my life I would never look at that full count pitch again. And, you know, he's the captain of the Catalina Flyer. And he's an entrepreneur. And he's paid really well. He's a homeowner. And he's not even 30. You just have to decide... You know, hit the ground with the arrow. Go big or go home. And when Elijah shows up and says, strike the ground, grab that arrow. Don't even wait for him. Like, here's a, get over there. Just, just start going. Don't even explain it twice. So sometimes he's like, can you say that again? You know, like, no. Just. You know, Elijah should be like, yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. And so he's just like, oh, yeah. Right? Swing, swing away. When the Lord gives you an opportunity, man, <laughs> just swing away. It's life. The only one's going to remember it is your dad and you. And in that case, those are two people that have a great memory from it. Yes and amen. All right, we have chapter, um, we got a little more here in this chapter on the back end. So, ah, oh, yeah, no should have, would have, man. We don't, that's just the worst in time and eternity. Verse 20, then Elisha died and they buried him and the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. This is a crazy story. But of course, like Pastor Chuck would say, if you get Genesis 1-1, you get the whole Bible. In the beginning, God. It's all God's power. It's God's universe. Peter walked on water. Jesus raised the dead, he opened the eyes of the blind, and Elisha's dead body brought back to life another dead body, which is amazing. And it really is a type of Christ. 
Because they were carrying a dead body to be buried. Jesus raised the widow named son during the funeral procession. He raised Jairus' daughter from the deathbed of sorrow in the upper room. And he raised Lazarus out of the grave. And he himself said, no one takes my life. I have the power to lay it down and raise it up. I am the resurrection and the life. And Elisha is a type of Christ here. And a reminder to us, for all the things we trust in God and believe him for, we're believing him to raise us from the dead so we can trust him whatever happens to us in the human experience until that day. Verse 22, And Haziel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and regarded them. See, again, God is faithful. Because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he would not yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. But Haziel, king of Syria, died. Then Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place. And Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father, by war. Three times of Jehoahaz, his father, by war. Three times Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. So exactly what he gave is exactly what he got. It's, God is sowing and reaping. It's the whole universe. In the second year of Joash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, <laughs> gosh, the names, I'm sorry, I'm still just like, oh man, no, I, I'm like, no wonder, I, look, I can prove to you, see all my lines? I, 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 I tried, you know, stay in school, just stay in school. Don't do drugs. <laughs> uh, Jehoahaz, Amaziah, and Jehoahaz, and Joash. Okay, verse 2. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehanadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now, It happened as soon as the king was established in his hand that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king, but the children of the murderers he did not execute according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. So here now we're back to the Judah Joash, and this is his son. Now remember... We just we, the earlier chapter that we finished from last week, Jehoash was killed by the conspiracy. And so when his son came to power, he executed the men who did the conspiracy against his dad, even though his dad had had Zechariah, the son of Jehoadiah, the priest, uh, killed the prophet. But he did not have the rest of the family killed. Like any of the other relatives, he only had those who were part of the conspiracy against his dad. And we're told in verse 6 he did this because... He cited the law of Moses or the law of God in the Old Testament that you're not to, you know, we all stand or fall for our own shortcomings. Like we should not be punished because our parents did this or our children did that, but we stand on our own, even though we might feel responsible as parents if we were bad parents and our kids did bad stuff. But still, especially in our country, you you stand or fall for what you did or didn't do on your own. But what I like about this passage is it just reminds us yet again that the word of God is always right for the final authority in anything in our life. As I'm moving in on 35 years as a pastor, I, it's just so crystal clear in my life that every time I obeyed the word of God, it had the right outcome. And every time I didn't, it had the wrong outcome. 
35 years of ministry, when I made decisions in my personal life, in my marriage, parenting, taking care of my parents, pastoring, the challenges of being a pastor, and all that goes with pastoring churches in the Bible Belt, in New England, in California, and all these things. Like When the word of God was properly applied, things would have a way of playing out the way they were meant to be. And when it wasn't, it just, it just, had, a, it just had a rougher landing. It just didn't go the best way it could have. It's kind of like plan B instead of plan A. Plan A is all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for instruction, correction, doctrine, that we can be reproved, that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And more than once as a minister, when things went wrong, I'd be like, Lord, how did this go wrong? And he'd take me back to a Bible verse and be like, this is what I said, but you did this. This was hard and was going to involve confrontation and difficult things, but you chose this. And in the end, by not doing this, you got that. And I, I look at this and I just commend the, I commend the king because he looked at the law of God and he said, this is the right decision and this is the right application and I'm going to obey it and do this because he could have been vindictive. These men killed his dad. But he just said, no, this is, this is just how it works. And I, I'm just reminded again, worship generation, body of Christ, as we're wrapping up 2022, when you have self-reflection on the year and maybe you take notes about your personal life with the Lord, your personal health habits, you take a look at your marriages if you're married, you take a look at your children, adults, little kids, whatever. You look at your parents above you, your adult siblings beside you. You start with you and the Lord, you and your your, your family unit, you and your relatives, you and your dogs, you know, you and your finances, you and your job, you and your neighbors, you and the government, everything. And you kind of do reflection. You think about things. Just know this. I'm sure if you look at things that could have been better, it's because the word of God was not applied. And the things that were really good is because the word of God was applied. So when we look at a new improved version of our lives with the Lord in 2023, you can be sure that God's playbook is going to always be yes and amen to obey his word. Aren't you glad we don't have to conjure up a whole new, like, game plan for 2023? Like a 30-minute infomercial? The new and improved game plan. Like, no, this is, this is it. Genesis Revelation. God's going to keep teaching us. We're going to keep growing. And the word of God works effectively in those who believe. It's a light into our feet. and a lamp to, It's a lamp to our heart and a light to our feet, to our path. And we're trusting him. It's, it's like, well, it's no big deal. He just obeyed the word. But still, since a lot of people don't, it is a good deal. It's a good, it is a good thing, and it's a big deal. It just reminds us that God's word is going to always lead us in making the right decision, whether it seems very spiritual or very practical. Verse 7. Now, uh, this king, so here he is, he goes out, Amaziah, he goes out, and he killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Remember, there's ongoing conflict with the Edomites in the south, and, the, and Judah seemed to have victory more often than not. And they had, but through various circumstances, they had lost their foothold. And now he, he, went and had, he, he went and did business. And we're told in verse 8, then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu. So this is the southern king of Judah, Amaziah, speaking to our buddy Jehoash, the other Jehoash. And he says, hey, hey, come let us face one another in battle. And Jehoash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, uh, listen, he gave him a little parable. The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as a wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Glory in that and stay at home, for why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall 
you and Judah with you. And we read on because we get the rest of the story and then we'll come back to it. But Amaziah would not heed. Therefore, Jehoash, king of Israel, went out. So he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belonged to Judah, belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel. And every man fled to his tent. Then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Ahaziah at Beth Shemesh, and he went to Jerusalem, and he broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim uh, to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And then he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of the Lord, in the treasuries of the king's house, and hostages, and returned to Samaria. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, which he did, his might, and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoash rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel, then Jeroboam, his son, reigned in his place. And now that's our Jeroboam II. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz of Israel. So after he got whooped, he still lived 15 years after that king of the north defeated him. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, they're not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. And they formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. So ironically, he died in a conspiracy as well. Then they brought, uh, they brought him on a horse and was buried in Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah took Azariah. He was 16 years old and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. And he built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. So briefly, back here on the beginning of the story. So uh, Amaziah gets this victory against Edom and he's feeling good about it. And he's like, you know, these kings in the north, that Joash, whatever, like they're always... People, wealth, resources, it's always the same thing. So he, he goes after him, but he says, let's, let's do this. But it's, it's very interesting that Jehoash, actually, of the north, has a good word for him. He just says, you know what? You've had a victory. Like, you've had something good happen. Like, why are you, why are you meddling? Why are you meddling for more? Like, why are you doing this? So really right here, it's one of those things where, like, the Lord can give us a, a word of caution about something. Like, why, why are you, why are you, you know, it, it could come from someone that's not even spiritual, right? Like, Balaam heard it from a donkey. Like, why are you, why are you doing this? It's, it's good to know the frequency of the Lord when he's speaking, not just through a Pastor Chuck study, like a you know, series of the 2000s or 3000s on Word for Today, or on the radio, or Greg Laurie to Harvest Crusade, it's, or people you love, like your parents that love the Lord or walk with the Lord, or your spouse that's very strong in the Lord. It's really good to be able to hear the frequency of the Lord Again, just because you're dialed in and you're discerning when the Lord is showing you something and speaking to you. And it's not so critical as it who's saying it, but that we're hearing it. Does that make sense? It doesn't, it's not so critical where the truth is coming from, but it's truth from the Lord. And because of the frequency we have with the Lord when we're dialed in with the Lord, that we can hear it and we can receive it. It works both ways. Like he'll give us a good word to get on with things or encourage us to take a step of faith but like here, it's like, why, why are you doing this? Why, are you, why, are you, why is this happening? And even the word where he said, your heart has lifted you up. And that is something that always concerns me. Because I'm definitely prone toward pride. As are all of us for different reasons. But man, we can just be so prideful. We all can be. And we just have to really catch it. We have to catch it when we're prideful. Like whenever we have a really great victory, we have to like, really like, gosh, just... Just take that with gratitude. Truly know the Lord gave you that. And let's walk in humility and let's just go forward. So he, 
he had good victory, and then he had, he bit off more than he could chew. He had a reproof that he couldn't receive. His heart was lifted up, and he got whooped. And he lost all of his wealth and all of his employees. It was a bad business decision. It was a bad spiritual decision. It was a bad life decision. It cost him dearly. Now we close out the chapter, verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah. That's the guy we're just talking about. Jeroboam, see he's in pink in my Bible, he's the north. The son of Joash, the king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. That's a long reign. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. That is the original Jeroboam. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord spoken through his servant Jonah. That's our Jonah from the book of Jonah. The son of Amittiah, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Wow. Verse 28. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did, his might, how he made war, how he recaptured for Israel from Damascus and Hamath, what belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jeroboam rested with his fathers, the kings of Israel, then Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. So this last story presents Jonah to us. And during this time of this king in the, in the north, Jeroboam had some victory. Jeroboam II and the Lord had, had been with him, and good things happened. It says he restored the territory. That's by Mount, uh, up by Mount Hebron in the north, uh, Israel, or Lebanon. So all this lost territory was regained briefly, and they regained it. And then all the way down to the Dead Sea, that's the Sea of Arabah, all the way down to the Dead Sea. So interestingly enough, during Jeroboam II, God restored all these things that had been lost for quite some time. He restored it. And I was thinking about this with Jonah, according to the word of Jonah. So this gives us insight on Jonah. Before Jonah ever showed up at Nineveh and preached to the Ninevites and the Assyrians, he preached to his own people. He preached an expansion of the kingdom to his own people. Isn't that cool? So before he's running from the Lord, he had already had this fruitful ministry. He liked preaching when people of God get more. He didn't like preaching when the people who hate God get to live. He didn't like that at all. It's kind of like the word of God. Some parts of it I really like, some I don't like as much. Right? I definitely did not like Jehu and 70 heads of, you know, Ahab's family. Like I said Saturday night, I can teach that or I can teach this. Which one do you want? But it's all there, and it's written for our admonition. And, you know, the amazing thing about Jonah is that Jesus compared himself to Jonah, where he said, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so too the Son of Man will be three days in the grave. That's the sign he gave Israel. So Jonah's, Jonah's a reminder to us that even though Jesus came at Christmas time as we celebrate as the baby born of the virgin, Jesus came to conquer the grave. And Jesus rose from the grave, which we talked about earlier tonight. And that's our hope, and that's our ultimate celebration in this time of year. We end the year with the joy of Christmas, but really with the expectation Everything Jesus that we do, we celebrate with Easter. Jonah reminds us tonight, as we wrap up this chapter, that there's times God expands his kingdom for Israel, for his people, whether they're obedient or not, because that's the case here. And there's times he wants to show mercy to an entire city that's caused problems for people of Israel. But in the end, Jonah's life reminds us 600 years after he left the planet, or time, space, and matter, that Christ came to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the grave for our hope and justification. And that's why we're the church. 
And that's the ultimate joy that we all have here tonight. We can talk about all these other things, you know, swinging it straight for a ball for you. But really, it all comes back to Jesus, doesn't it? And Jonah takes us right back to Jesus. So praise the Lord.